You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Why don't we pray um, and then we'll look at the scriptures together. Our Lord and God, you are good and in your goodness you've spoken to us through your word. Lord Jesus, we ask that this morning we might see clearly who you are and what that means for us. Spirit of God, we ask that you might speak to us afresh, that in your kindness you might take this word, you might plant it deep within our hearts, and there it might bear much fruit for your glory, for Christ's sake. Amen. So Sydney's a busy place, isn't it? It's a kind of place where we just find ourselves with so much to do. There's work, as we were reminded earlier. For some of us, there's children. There's traffic. Just getting from one place to another is hard, hard work. Sometimes, sometimes you just need a break to get away from the relentless round of life, some time and space away from it all. And in busy lives, sometimes all you get is a mini break and sometimes a mini break will do. Way back when our kids were little, we had one of those mini-breaks. I think it's probably our worst mini-break ever. It was a tricky time for us as a family. Um, I'd just completed uh, postgraduate study and, for complicated reasons, had, had to go back to work in medicine, which was what my original training was in. Our kids were all little. We had three kids under five. We had to relocate ooh, to a new bit of Sydney. And let's hope the stand will survive. We had to relocate to a new bit of Sydney. We didn't know the area terribly well. And I was working long shifts, uh, 12-hour shifts, uh, working as a resident in intensive care. And Alison was working even longer shifts because she had three kids under five at home. We really, really needed a break. And we decided that what would work well would be some time away on the central coast, and nice beaches, a bit of a break, time and space away from it all. So we thought. It was one of those, it was just one of those times. The, the, the weather was horrible. The kids, well, I don't, don't know that I've got words. They were ratty, that'll do. <laughs> and the room that we were staying in was not quite as advertised. It was, it was meant to have a nice balcony overlooking the beach, um, and the, the, the balcony was actually a breezeway with about the same aesthetic as our lovely feature wall at the front of this church. I remember sitting in the room with three whinging kids trying desperately to enjoy Rapidly cooling and rained on soggy fish and chips. Beauty. Perhaps 
our worst mini break ever. But you know what? Maybe you've got a story to beat it. I mean, at least we had a place to stay, right? You know, I'm pretty sure the disciples in this story thought they had a story to beat it. Let's think about what the disciples saw, what's happening for the disciples in this story. Let's have a bit of context. So in this story, the disciples have just come back and they're reporting to Jesus. They've been out on mission and they're coming back and telling Jesus about all the stuff that they've done. And it's really busy. So they've had a busy time of it and people are coming and going and going and coming. They don't even have time, Mark tells us, to sit down and have a bit of a break and a cup of tea and a biscuit. They're tired. But you know what? I wonder whether they're both tired and wired. Do you know that feeling? We've had a really busy time. You're so G'd up. The adrenaline levels are so high that you're exhausted but also just buzzing. I reckon they're probably feeling a bit like that. And they don't have time for the buzzing to stop. They don't have time to get a, a bit of space, to get a bit of a break. Some of us know what this is like, don't we? Nurses know what this is like when there are people constantly calling on them in, in the wards. Lots of us know what this is like. I reckon, though, that probably, probably, the primary carers of young children know that best. Now, it's not always, but it tends to be in our society at this moment. It tends to be women who find themselves in that place, isn't it? Whether or not they work outside the home, when they are at home, the kids, their toys, their tantrums, their times, their meals, their food, their, let's be honest, their grotty bottoms, their noise fills every bit of space. It saps all their energy. It sucks every atom of oxygen out of the room. And as soon as you sit down for a cup of tea, or maybe it's later in the day, it's a G&T, what happens? Well, today, at least, these blokes, these disciples have a bit of a sense of what it's like to be the primary care of young children. They need a mini break. They need some time away. And so Jesus says, okay, let's, let's have a bit of a break. So they go off to the countryside. Now, it's, it's, it's a wilderness area that they go, so it's not a settled area around Bethsaida. They're going in a boat, and they go in a boat largely to escape the crowd because there's only room for them in the boat, so they're going across the lake to this quiet place, but the crowds follow anyway, and lots of them. Interesting. Rather than send them away, or perhaps get back in the boat and go somewhere else, run away, Jesus teaches them. Jesus sees the crowd, has compassion on them, and teaches them, teaches them so much, indeed, that it gets to evening. So evening comes, and this mini-break is going really well for the disciples, isn't it? They go from one crowd to another crowd, and Jesus is teaching them, and they say, look, 
come on, man. It's late in the day. These people have been hanging around, learning all this stuff. And you know what? We still haven't had a chance to sit down for a cup of tea and a biscuit. We still haven't had a chance for a break and something to eat. So, makes sense. They want to send the crowd away. Sounds fair, doesn't it? Think it's the end of the day, teaching's done, off you go. Think of the cost. You know, we, we, we know that there's 5,000 men plus women and children, so the crowd's probably 10,000 or more. That's a, that's a big crowd, isn't it? I mean, we, we get excited when there are 106 in the room. 10,000 or more. Think of the cost. Think of the effort of trying to do something. So say, look, send them away. But Jesus says, it's really weird thing, doesn't he? You give them something to eat. Doesn't that strike you as odd? 10,000 people, they've come away for a rest, and Jesus says, you feed them. And the result, as we know, is, is ridiculous. If the crowd's ridiculously big, so is the banquet that Jesus lays on for them. And it's actually presented as a banquet. It's really quite interesting. And they get to eat so much. There's so much food there. They eat, they're satisfied, and there's doggy bags, 12 baskets. I mean, it's a miracle, really. The thing is, their day is still not done. This mini break only gets better for them, doesn't it? Now he makes them get in the boat and go back over the lake. Now, it should be a short journey. It's just a little kind of going across the corner of the lake. But the wind's against them. And so it means hard, agonizing rowing. It's really hard work. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever paddled or rowed when, the, when you're facing into the wind. Yes? Some of you, well, you probably do it all the time. It's just a little workout for him. <laughs> for most of us, though, we try that. And it's absolutely exhausting and heartbreaking. Because you paddle, 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 and you're six feet back from where you were last time, right? That's where the disciples find themselves. After a full day's work... On top of a busy mission trip, this is just what they don't need. Nor is what happens next. Now we have this weird bit of Jesus walking on water. And let's face it, now this is a bit of a, it's almost a cliched thing for us, but just think about it from the disciples' point of view, right? They're tired. It's late at night. They've been busting their guts all day, and they're now trying to get across the lake. They have no clue what's going on. It's no surprise that they look up, see this thing, and, and are terrified. This day has not turned out like they'd hoped. This is a day of rest, and now this is happening? 
surely the worst mini break ever. It's not, in many senses, it's not surprising, is it? They don't, they just don't have a clue. They don't know what's going on. They don't get it. They're frightened. Do you notice what Mark says? Mark says, in fact, that they didn't understand because their hearts were hardened. Really? That's a bit that's a bit harsh, isn't it? I mean, think about the story from their point of view. But Mark says they didn't understand, not because they were tired, not because it had been a long day, not because they didn't get the mini break that they were anticipating, but because their hearts were hardened. Perhaps we need another look at the story. So let's have another look at it. Because this is a story, you see, which is full of context. There's a lot going on. In fact, this is a story which is dripping with Old Testament allusions. For a short and relatively simply told story, there is a lot going on here. And most of that has to do with the Old Testament. Hey, that's pretty cool for me, isn't it? There's a lot. I don't have time to take you through all the stuff that's, that's in this passage that relates to the Old Testament. I want to pick up on two Psalms in particular because there's some really interesting connections. The first is possibly one of the most familiar Psalms, which is Psalm 23. Lord's my shepherd. You can see the words there. These are, these are familiar words. Most of, them, most of us know these words fairly well. I suspect the disciples would have known these words fairly well. And think about what's going on here in this story connected to this psalm. So, so Jesus, if you remember, when he gets out of the boat and sees a large crowd, he has, he has compassion on them because they're, they're like sheep without one of these things. They're like sheep without a shepherd. At the end of the day, when he's taught them, and he instructs the disciples to start distributing the bread. He, he, he gets them to sit down on the green grass. Mark makes a point of noting that it's green grass, which tells us it's probably spring, but it's also taking us back to here. In the wilderness here, Jesus is preparing a table for hungry people. Jesus is showing himself as the shepherd, the shepherd that the people need, being without one takes us to Zechariah 9, providing one takes us to Ezekiel 34. And notice how his compassion moves him to care for them. He tends them in two crucial ways. He teaches them, for after all, as he says elsewhere, no one lives by bread alone. But he also feeds them because everyone needs bread. And the feeding itself takes us back to the great prophet Elisha and his feeding of people, and back to, before him to Elijah, but even more before either of them, back to Moses and the wilderness and the way that Yahweh, the Lord God, who brought the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, provided for them in their wanderings 
in the wilderness. And what Jesus does here is invite the disciples to join with him in what he's doing in shepherding these shepherdless people. And that's all driven by Jesus' compassion. One of the things to notice, by the way, is the disciples, they don't just not get it, they also don't really have much compassion for these people. It sounds good, doesn't it? Look, send them away so that they can buy some food. Fine. But where are they? They're in a relatively wilderness area, a solitary place. They have to go to the surrounding villages, and it's late in the day. And you can't just go to Costco or into Woolies and buy how much bread for 10,000 people? Yes? This is, a, this is a relatively poor community. There aren't large shops. The bread that people had, they either made for themselves or a local baker made it for them. And this is the end of the day. How much bread is going to be hanging around here? What chance do they have of actually getting anything to eat? Jesus is inviting the disciples to share with him in his work of compassion, tending, for the, tending these shepherdless sheep they don't get it Jesus is not sending these shepherdless sheep away like that Jesus spreads a table for them in the wilderness and invites these people having been fed through his word to a banquet of bread and fish a banquet of ridiculous Abundance. But the disciples don't seem to see that. And they certainly don't see what's going on in what's the climax of this story. The feeding of the, of the 5,000 is not actually the climax of this story. The climax happens when they're in the middle of the lake, which takes us to our second psalm. So here we see... Jesus walking on the water, and we think, yeah, pretty cool. A bit weird, but pretty cool. What we need to get is what's happening again in Old Testament connections. There are a bunch of connections, but one particularly is Psalm 77. It's, a, it's an interesting psalm. It's in the context of a lament. Now, a lament psalm is, is, a, is a song that people sing when things are going really badly, and they Ask or require God to act. Here you're supposed to be the God who cares for people, so so do something about it, will you? And in the midst of that prayer, the psalmist is reminded of the Lord's care for Israel and specifically in the Exodus. Precisely the context that the feeding places us in, remember? Remember? Feeding in the wilderness reminds anyone who knows their Old Testament of what the Lord did after Exodus. And so when the disciples see Jesus walking on the water, this is what they should see. They should see not just a weird thing happening. They should see Yahweh, the Lord God of the universe, walking on the sea. That's what they should see. But sometimes 
seeing isn't believing, is it? Sometimes, unless you believe, or at least uh, unless you have some vague sense of what's going on, you can't see anything like this. Um, there you go. I told you, told her you used to do the medical thing. That's an X-ray. It's a chest X-ray. You can tell that. Now, some of you can see immediately what's going on here. Um, what you see, in fact, notice how on the left side, that's the right diaphragm, is higher than on the left side. That means that this person has a massively enlarged liver. Something really serious is going on. Did you see that? You do now. You, but in order to read an x-ray, you need to know what's going on, just like in order to read a spreadsheet. I can read x-rays a bit, spreadsheets, fat chance. You need to know what's going on before you can see what's going on. The disciples don't. They don't, but they should see that this is Yahweh. Given that all that Jesus has shown them so far, they should see that this is the Lord, the God of the universe, who's walking on this lake towards them. And when he says, I mean, they're frightened. They think it's weird. They think it's a ghost or something odd. When he says, no, no, um, take courage. It is I. The words he uses, a little technical bit here, the words he uses, it is I, actually echo the words that Yahweh gave to Moses when Yahweh gave Yahweh's own name to Moses. I am. Jesus says, take courage. I am. Do not be afraid. And of course, even after that, even after hearing the words that God said to Moses and to Joshua and to Jeremiah and to the prophets, even so they still don't get it, even after all of that. Here in their boat, and previously in feeding his sheep on the other side of the lake, here they have Yahweh, the Lord God of the universe, enfleshed. It's not just some weird, freaky thing that's going on. This is the one true and living God, present with the people of God in the flesh. And they miss it. How, with all of that, how can they miss it? It's like going to Paris and walking down the side, the banks of the Seine, and missing the Eiffel Tower, or catching a ferry across Sydney Harbour and missing the bridge. But there's more to that, more to it even still, more that they've missed. Well, this isn't just some kind of party trick. It's not as if Yahweh has just turned up and said, hey, here I am. Yahweh, the Lord God of the universe, has turned up and has turned up to play. In encountering Jesus, they don't just encounter the God of the universe. They encounter the Lord who has come to do something particular. And what he's come to do is give his people rest. And so let's go back to the beginning again. 
When I first started working through this passage, this thing bugged me. I don't know if it bugged you when you heard the reading. They've, had, they've been on their mission trip. They've come back. The crowds are coming and going. They don't have time to sit down to have a cup of tea and a biscuit. And Jesus says, come, let's go to a wilderness place and get a bit of rest. And this is what happens. Think, well, hang on. Does, does Jesus get it wrong? Is Jesus' intention for them frustrated or thwarted or? Or perhaps something else might be going on. That's the kind of thing we find in John's gospel quite a bit. I don't know if you remember the conversation Jesus has with Nicodemus. um, uh, Or the conversation he has with the woman at the well. um, Where Jesus is is talking at one level and everybody else is hearing him at another. And they just, 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 just don't get it. I think that's what's going on here. You see, the, the wilderness allusions, all the prophetic stuff, the, the, the reference to providing so abundantly for the people are all pointing, are all pointing us to this. Rest. It's all telling us what rest actually is. Jesus' extravagant provision. Jesus shepherding his people. Identify him as Yahweh, the Lord God of the universe, who has come to save his people and give them rest. When he walks on the water, that's simply, <laughs> simply, anyway, um, it's just, it simply serves to confirm it. When you get that, I think now we understand Mark's comment that they didn't understand, not because they were tired, but because their hearts were hard. It was even worse than that. The disciples really, really, really should have seen this. Think about where we are in the gospel, right? This is Mark 6. Think about the story so far that Dave's been taking us through. Think about this context and think about the the stories of freedom that we've been hearing Stories of rest. What we find is Jesus being presented to us as the Lord of rest. When you think of Legion, that guy whose life was destroyed by demonic forces, and you think of the rest that Jesus has given him. When you think about the woman with menorrhagia, the woman with the bleeding, whose life had been destroyed by this illness, now healed, don't you think she found rest? Or Jairus and his daughter... Don't you think they've found rest? Think about the feeding. Don't you think they've found refreshment in the teaching and the bread? And it's interesting to note what happens immediately after they land. Again, people come from everywhere, and now there's healings all over the place. And notice, do you notice this little bit? People just want to touch the, the edge of his garment, and they'll be healed. Does that remind you of an earlier story? The story of what happened with that woman with the bleeding seems to have got around the countryside and people know that if they find Jesus, this is what they find. These are all gifts of Jesus, gifts of rest. And the disciples themselves have been participating in that. They were already invited into this work, the work of Jesus. That's what their mission was. That's what they've just come back from there's 
there are healings and they, they get to do the, the same kind of thing. Their mission was to join with Jesus in his mission of bringing comfort and healing and freedom and rest to God's needy people. That's what they've been recruited to. That's what it means for them to be followers of Jesus. They've been recruited to this mission of rest, mission of shalom, if you remember that word that John introduced us to a little while ago. This sense that what, what, what God is doing for God's people is more than just giving them a little bit of a break. For the rest that Jesus comes bringing is not just downing tools, although that's important. It's not just an absence of hostility. It's not just an absence of busyness. It's the presence of something more. It's the, the presence of flourishing. It's the presence of relationships gone right when they so often go wrong. It's the presence of delight. This is what Jesus invites them to and invites them to participate in. When they fail to see Jesus, when they fail to see what's going on, they fail to hear his call to be peacemakers, rest givers, workers of shalom. Now, of course, we need to recognize um, that for Jesus and for the disciples, the, the rest that they bring is not, not the fullness, not the completion, it's not the, the final package. Because even these 10,000 or more people, even the fed will grow hunger, hungry again, won't they? The healed will eventually sicken and die. This is not the final story. This is not the final rest when all strife and striving ceases, when we know joy and love and perfect community, when we enjoy God in the rich intimacy of world without end. All of this, all of this are a foretaste. They are, now, here I must confess that I'm a, um, I'm a food nerd. I, I, I just am. I, I, I probably should apologise. Is that my time up? <laughs> Sorry? Future student. Excellent. Excellent. So this, I don't know, this, this, I haven't actually been to Key. This is an, what's called a moose bush. Uh, you ever been to fancy places where they bring out this tiny little morsel right at the start? It's called an moose bush. It means it's, it's something that makes your mouth happy. Um, uh, this, I'd, I'd love to have this. This is sashimi on a citrus jelly. Sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Now, an amuse-bouche isn't even the entree, right? It, it's, it's, not, it's not part of the meal. The point of an amuse-bouche in one of these fancy pants places is for the chef to give you a chance to see what they can do, yeah? To show their skill and to whet your appetite for the meal to come. Everything that Jesus has done Everything that Jesus invites the disciples into is, if I can put it this way, an amuse-bouche of the kingdom. It's just showing us what God can do. It's not the full meal. That, that awaits the transformation of all things, a new heavens and a new earth, which, interestingly, in Isaiah 25, one of the images that's used for this grand transformation of all things is a banquet that the Lord will spread for all 
people. Here we have an amuse-bouche of that banquet. A glimpse of what the chef can do, leaving people really wanting the meal to come. The twelve didn't see it. But with Mark's help, we do. Or at least we can. What we see in this story is Jesus. What we see as we discover Jesus is the Lord Yahweh, the God of the universe. What we see in this story is the rest. We are invited to encounter Jesus and so encounter Yahweh, the God who gives us rest. That's what this story does for us. I'm not sure where you find yourself now. Perhaps like Alison and me some time ago, you're really, really, really looking for rest. Here then, Jesus' call, as Becky read earlier, come and find rest. Sometimes in these frenetic turns of days, we just need to down tools, let the world spin on without us, knowing that it's still in the hands of the good Lord of creation who sends rain on the just and the unjust. Or perhaps you find yourself realising that despite all your religious efforts, I find myself, we just don't have rest. We don't have the peace with God for which we long. Jesus, once more, invites us to lay down that heavy, wearying, intolerable burden and find rest in him. To sit down with him on green grass and be refreshed. But perhaps you have found that rest. You've been fed by the living Lord. You know peace with God and the joy that it brings. We also get to hear the invitation that the disciples heard. We get to invite others to enjoy the rest that we ourselves have experienced. We are invited to be agents of that rest, both in our work and in our rest. You see, the rest that we enjoy can be a foretaste of perfect rest for others. When they see that we trust God to keep the world spinning when we down our tools, showing that our work doesn't define us, that our identity and security are found in Jesus and in his word, when we invite people to enjoy that with us, they get a taste of the coming kingdom. Um, A little actual practical expression of that is um, the champagne and carols night coming up in a little bit, an opportunity to, to show what something of this joy and abundance looks like for people, right? But paradoxically, it might seem like just a bit weird, but our work can also give a foretaste of this rest. When our work feeds the hungry, whether they hunger for food or for hope, we join with Jesus in, people, in giving people a taste of shalom, a taste of rest. When we provide order in chaos, when we make the world a more beautiful place, when through our work people's lives are enriched and they flourish just that little bit more, then we join with Jesus in giving people a taste of shalom, a taste of rest. 
That's Jesus' invitation to us. Today, as we discover Jesus, we're invited to encounter him as Yahweh, the God of rest, to hear his invitation to rest and to extend that to others, provide little glimpses of shalom in a restless world. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you once again that in this story we hear your invitation to come, to lay down our burdens and to find rest. Please give us that rest. Please help us to reimagine our lives, our work and our rest as opportunities for us to enjoy and invite others to enjoy something of this grand vision of who you are and what you're doing for us to see something of your coming kingdom, to know the joy that that brings. Amen.